Welcome back. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties. I, I probably pushed a mute button or something. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Earlier this month, the field was set for the campaign for mayor of Burlington. The Progressive Party nominated former city councilor and current legislator Emma Mulvaney Stanek. The Democrats nominated current city councilor Joan Shannon. Shannon won a vote at the Democratic caucus gathering in Burlington with just over 50 percent of the vote. She defeated current council president Karen Paul and C.D. Madison or Madison, who is my next guest. We have heard from Joan Shannon and Mulvaney Stanek on previous shows, but often it's far more interesting and informative to interview the person who came up short. They're no longer hamstrung by the realities of politics and saying the right thing. And I have always thought that losing after putting your heart into something is fascinating to watch and experience uh, and hear from the person who went all in and, uh, and took the risk. So in that spirit I, spirit, I asked Madison to join us today. She does not hesitate to describe herself as a gay black woman. She is also an experienced tech consultant for big name companies inside and outside Vermont and is very active in Burlington and beyond, serving on the boards of organizations like the Public Assets Institute, Outright Vermont, and the Vermont Professional of Professionals of Color Network. Madison, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great that you uh, are here with us. Uh, so I guess my first question is, you announced, you ran hard, and you came up short. Uh, what is that like? What's what's it like to come up short? Well, I feel like I'm in good company. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln and Barack Obama lost their first races. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like to joke. Um, and... You know, it was a it was a sobering learning experience. Uh, my first time ever running for office, of course, having the the handicap of not having the name recognition of Joan Shannon and Karen Paul, and their 35 combined years together um, on city council. So they've gone through a lot of elections, collected a lot of email addresses, and uh, I was flying blind in that regard. I had no data. I had no list. Um, you know, and I was running in what I called, what I described as a closed caucus, in the sense that the folks who were intentionally invited in had participated before, instead of widening and casting the net to attract in new voters. Um, there are always new voters, right, coming into our caucus, whether they've moved to the city or they've aged into voting. Um, and so I was definitely disappointed in that regard and felt that the Burlington Democratic Party could have done a better job, a more intentional, mindful job of inviting more people in. That's, let's keep talking about that. So it, the, the caucus system in Burlington is basically uh, folks showing up and, and casting their vote for their candidate. It, it, tell us exactly how it works. So, right, it is an open caucus, and for the Burlington Democrats, you don't have to be a, a, a Democrat to vote. You just have to have not participated in any other caucus. Um, and so, you know, credit to Joan Shannon's uh, campaign that they invited in a lot of Republicans and they showed up in the Democratic caucus. Um, 
So there was intentionality on her part. It's also true that a lot of those folks, um, I believe, come from the New North End, which is traditionally a very active ward uh, in the Democratic caucus as well. Um, I think it would be interesting for uh, your listeners and also for the Burlington Dems to take a look at which wards did participate and which didn't. Um, Also, the caucus, if we look at it from the Burlington Dems side, how were they promoting it? Uh, It seemed to be more traditional email than anything else, so someone already on the list. Um, And as I said to some of the caucus folks, listen, I'm a a biracial black woman um, raised by a German mother, a white German mother. So I assume that I'm invited everywhere. That's me. But when you look at um, a lot of marginalized groups um, or BIPOC folks, that isn't that isn't the case. Um, If you if you don't invite us in, if you then we don't believe we're welcome. And so that uh, that is that is a cultural miss on the part of the Burlington Democrats, in my opinion. Yeah. And and so uh, is it do people fill out a paper ballot or do they raise their hand? Oh, so this caucus was all online. This was all digital. Um, That's also a big loss, I think, um, not to have it in person. Um, That, unfortunately, has been an issue for the past 10 years when we lost Memorial Auditorium, which was our largest space that would have been able to hold most of the folks. We were limited to Edmonds uh, Middle School that can only hold 400 people, and so you know, using the uh, using the learnings from COVID, it was a digital caucus. So you went online, you had to register separately from being registered to vote in the city boroughs. That was another miss. A lot of voters did not know that they had to register separately for the caucus. And I heard that many times over from folks that I was in conversation with. So you would register online, you could use your email or your cell phone, your text. And when it was time to cast your, your ballot, you would get a notification in email or text, and you had a two-hour window to cast that ballot. Wow. Yeah, I can see how, I mean, if you don't have the internet, if you don't have a computer. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's there's the other, the you know, uh, there's the other bias and limitation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so was it worth it for you? Absolutely. Personally? It was worth it. It was worth it because, listen, I made the determination to jump into the race uh, because I felt that certain conversations were not being had. Um, you know, there was a lot of attention to uh, the vote that Councillor Paul cast uh, that led to a decrease in the Burlington police force. There was not enough attention paid in um, my opinion, to the vote cast by Councillor Shannon, which was to dismantle the Sears Lane encampment, which housed between 40 and 50 people. Um, And she blocked an amendment that would have uh, paused that dismantling until they found uh, shelter for those folks. And so here's where you have the unintended consequences of cutting the police, where we didn't have police presence downtown, Coupled with the unintended consequence of dismantling Sears Lane, those folks had nowhere to go. We have a new city hall park. That's where they went. And so you have reduced police presence with now uh, 
a gathering of people in City Hall Park who are in distress, coupled with fentanyl coming into our city because we had, uh, again, the unintended consequence of a dispatcher saying to someone calling 911, sorry, we can't help you. We've been defunded. That was a Burlington is open for bad business sign. All of those things together led us to where we are today. And so in my opinion, that conversation wasn't being had. Um, Additionally, the conversation was not being had around the necessity for an integrated response to public safety around, yes, law enforcement and homelessness and uh, substance use disorder and mental health. And I will say that was it worth it? Absolutely. Because if you go and you listen back to the forums that were held, there were two. Uh, the language of the two, my two opponents changed. The conversation changed. And so, yes, I think it was well worth the run. Before the break, Madison, we were, we got into public safety. Uh, I, I, I agree there, there is, I don't have to tell you, there is a perception out there that Burlington is out of control. Uh, homelessness, uh, criminality, uh, general lawlessness. And, you know, if you talk to so many people say not true, the numbers don't bear that out. Um, and yet perception is such a powerful thing. Can you, can we start with public safety? And you mentioned Sears Lane and the shrinking of the police force. Where do we need to go on public safety in Burlington? Well, you know, here's the thing we also have to acknowledge that the folks that we're seeing downtown who are unhoused, um, yes, there has been an increase because of the end of the uh, COVID uh, hotel motel voucher program that, in essence, doubled the number of homeless folks in Burlington. Um, but the truth is, those folks have always been here. Um, it's just that they weren't as visible before. And the Sears Lane encampment was one of those reasons why. And when that community was taken down, um, you could say it, it was unsafe and it needed to come down. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think it is unfortunate in how it was done. You know, this is one of those moments when, you know, in my campaign, I talked about uh, being innovative and being audacious in the ideas. Um, I think right now as a society, we're so fixed on the short term, right? Let's have that short term fix and let's be reactive. When this is one of those moments where we could have taken a pause and said, you know, uh, the National Guard did an amazing job during COVID standing up those uh, triage shelters outside of the hospital to deal with the increase in pandemic cases. What if we had said, Governor Scott, we need your help with the Guard um, to set up some temporary shelters right now on North Beach, where we will also have social services that we can provide to these folks. There will be facilities. And we will, of course, this is only a short-term solution. We will try to move them to a more permanent shelter. Imagine if we'd had that kind of compassion in how we were dealing with this issue. I think that's where we also need to lean. And let me just say this. Burlington, it is the perception because uh, the pain is more visible. However, downtown Burlington, in its essence, is still very safe. It's just that, yes, you're hearing, you're seeing things you didn't see before. And so what do we need to do? You know, there was a there was a community forum yesterday at City Hall in Burlington where we had uh, Chief Murad, Burlington Police Chief, 
uh, Sarah George, our Chittenden County State's Attorney, um, Dr. Levine, Health and Human Services, um, uh, a woman named Jess, I apologize not recalling her last name, from Vermont, Vermont for Criminal Justice Reform, and Rachel Jolly from uh, Chittenden County um, Community Justice Centers. And, of course, right. Mayor Weinberger was in attendance. And we were looking at the numbers. You know, where are we? Um, yes, our judiciary and our law enforcement folks uh, need help from state legislature to change the laws on the books. They are, in a sense, handcuffed on how they can deal with some of these um, issues around retail theft and uh, um, automobile theft, frankly, um, that is yeah. stopping them from doing their jobs in essence. So that's one. That's only one side of it, of course, public safety, if we look at law enforcement. But the other side, having Dr. Levine there, um, you know, we were talking about what kind of treatment could we offer. We don't have long-term treatment for mental health or uh, drug use. Even if you have money, you can't get a bed. Understand? Even if you have money, there is no option for you in state right now. We have a shortage of beds. So when I look at... Um, the foundation of where we are. Let me just give you a quick story about our society sure. and being so attuned to short-term fixes. Many years ago, I suffered from acid reflux for five years, five years on different medications, treating the symptom of acid reflux and treating this uh, gut pain that I had. Until finally, my doctor put me on a more you know, powerful antacid. Um, and in one dose, I had sciatic nerve pain, and uh, I had, um, and I was unable to sleep for a week, insomnia. So I did my own research and discovered a book called 30 Days to Stomach-Free Pain that had a diagnostic diet, series of diets. I fortunately hit the right diet <laughs> on the first try. And from that diet was then told, go, go ask your doctor for a series of tests. Did those tests, ended up that I had a bug called H. pylori. Five years of pain. Once we had the right diagnosis, in two weeks, I was pain-free, okay? So as a society, we tend to treat the symptoms, but not the underlying cause. So if I'd had an opportunity yesterday at that community forum, what I would have asked Dr. Levine, who's focused on health and human services, Dr. Levine, the underlying root of a lot of our, our pain here today is that we, have, we don't have enough housing. How do you expect someone to go into recovery if they have no place to sleep? How do you expect someone to go into recovery when they have no place to be that has them feeling safe or established connection with people? So this is more than just a Burlington problem or a Brattleboro problem or a Rutland problem or in the Northeast Kingdom. This is a state and federal issue. We have to house people. That is number one for public safety. And we need to have a statewide response to fentanyl. Um, and also a national response, because that drug is 400 times more addictive than heroin. Um, it is a poison that is destroying people's lives and their bodies. So yeah, what I'm basically saying, Kevin, is there is no easy solution. It is going to take a reprioritization of our state, um, of our cities and towns and counties, uh, and, uh, and from our federal delegation to focus on the underlying causes of the problems we're saying, because until we address those, we are going to, this is going to get worse and worse. Okay. And you have two candidates for mayor who are going to have to deal with this, whoever gets yeah. elected, Joan Shannon, the Democrat and Emma Volvady Stanek, the progressive. 
Have you endorsed either one of them? Have you talked to them in the wake of the uh, of the caucus uh, decisions? Uh, and how do you see this campaign going forward, given everything that you've just said? So um, I have not endorsed anyone. Um, I I will be speaking with Joan and Emma um, this week. We we have uh, meetings already on the books. Um, you know, as I said after the election. My my vote will be just like every other voter. Um, I'm going to vote for the candidate whose values align with mine. And also, here's my you know uppermost concern around how do we take care of each other as a community, as a city, as a society. Um, the person who's going to lead our city, I believe, needs to be able to create connection outside of Burlington because it's going to take – uh, a concerted, integrated effort with our neighboring towns, with the folks in our county, with other cities around the state, um, and with our state legislatures and our governor. We know already, you know, I was uh, on the morning drive and had a caller call, call in to me when I said it's, it, it's not just a Burlington problem. It, this is a problem for all of us who said, you're on your own, Burlington. You cut your police. Deal with it yourself. That's not how we're going to move forward together here to take care of each other. And so the next mayor is going to have to be a true ambassador for our city to the rest of the state. Do they have it? Do Joan and Emma have it in them to do that, to be that ambassador? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I will say that it is going to be harder for for some than others. And I think here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, when you're a leader, you don't have to be all the things, right? You have to right. be able to delegate. If you realize that you have a shortcoming in one area, then you need to make sure you bring someone in who can balance you out. So if either one of them is not that ambassador, does not have the aptitude for it, then they need to make sure they build their team out so that job gets done. So, you know, that's what I'm going to be talking to both of them about is how are you planning to, to lead the city? How are you going to build a team? What does that look like? Madison, I wonder if we could take on the police and public safety a little bit here. Um, it is the issue, obviously, uh, each candidate has a public safety plan or a community safety plan, uh, but this is such a complicated issue. It's not about big police force versus small police force. Uh, not that simple. How do you, how did you, how do you think about the role of the police in Burlington going forward? Yeah. So as I explained in one of the forums, you know, my own relationship with the police is complex. Uh, looking the way I do, having brown skin as I do, I've had moments of interaction with the police. Um, and I will tell you when I've shared this, I've had other brown skin folks reach out to me about their own experience here in Vermont, where I was going five miles over the speed limit, um, you know, a 40 and a 35, and pulled over and asked, of course, show my license registration, everything matches. Do you own this vehicle? Are you in the military? Why are you here? Um, and then asking me for my social security number. 
And I asked the officer, do you ask everyone for their Social Security number? He paused, put his hand on his gun, and then said, it's at my discretion. So I did not feel safe in that moment. On the other hand, years ago, I had the need for help from the police when I had a domestic violence situation, and I needed to get a restraining order. And thankfully, the responding officer came to the courthouse uh, when the person I was asking to get it applied for was fighting it. And as soon as he walked through the door, she withdrew and the restraining order was able to be executed. And so in that moment, I felt safe and he gave me peace. So um, law enforcement is necessary in a shared society to keep us all safe. There are moments when especially in a society like ours where uh, we have too, too many guns and gun violence is an issue, we need the police. What we do need, though, um, I believe, is a balanced approach to law enforcement, which was the attempt um, with the police cut. Unfortunately, it's like in the 80s when Reagan cut um, mental health hospitals. They were supposed to set up other supports. Those supports never came or they came too late. And so one of those things is a CARES program, which is a behavioral response team um, that addresses mental health issues with police as a secondary support, not primary. Um, And so, you know, you talked about smart versus uh, big or how do we support our law enforcement when it comes to public safety? Yes, we need to have the right size uh, police force for our needs here. I think we also need to find ways, innovative ways to support our police. We already discussed changing the laws down in Montpelier so that they can be more effective um, and have the tools they need to do their job. I think we need to be innovative in the sense that, you know, there was a response to uh, no more traffic stops because bias was found um, in traffic stops. I think we need to think about how we use that data so that we can give the police back, you know, the, the tools they need to do their job. So it's not just a matter of how many white people versus how many black people are stopped. But look at the data, say, if we stop 100 white people and 10 percent of the time we find cause, meaning we find evidence, but we stop, um, you know, 200 black people and only 2 percent of the time we find evidence, then there is bias in that enforcement. And we need to figure out a way to do better training and support of law enforcement. Um, You know, other things that would help our law enforcement, frankly, let's go back to what I said initially, housing. Let's get people who are on the street off the street and have them housed. Let's find other tools to help um, people like Vermont Centers for uh, Vermonters for Criminal Justice Reform and um, Community Justice Center um, so that we can have overdose prevention centers, which is another touch point for people who are suffering substance use disorder to help them get recovery, and it would reduce the number of folks you have with open-air drug use. So this is a complex situation that I know has a lot of emotion attached because we have our community in Burlington, many people, and this is what a voter said to me, for the first time, feeling unsafe. And I will tell you, as a brown person in America, that has been my lived experience my entire life. You know, going back to what I said that, you know, it's not necessarily true that I feel safe around the police. So I understand this sudden feeling of not feeling safe, but I also think it uh, requires pause in our community to not be reactive, 
to continue to have conversations like we had last night to educate our community on how we can best support ourselves. And frankly, to have Governor Scott step up. We need to hear from him because if we think flooding is a, uh, you know, a statewide natural disaster, this public safety issue around fentanyl and drug use and homelessness is absolutely a state national disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you assess the, you were an ally of Murrow Weinberger. Uh, uh, you have been critical of him recently. How do you assess his tenure as mayor of Burlington? It's mixed, you know, as can be true of a lot of leaders. I, um, sure. you know, I, uh, I, I have respect for Mayor Weinberger and I criticize him because I have respect, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, sure. You know, I think, hey, he, when he came in, uh, we needed his help and he stepped up regarding uh, the financial health of this community. He put us on a good footing in, in that sense, uh, dealing with issues around Burlington Telecom. He put us on a good footing in that sense. We actually are doing infrastructure work in the city, uh, which needed to happen. Um, you know, our underground uh, infrastructure was old, outdated, and uh, as we know, feeding into the lake what we don't want to be fed into our lake. Um, and he got our city building. We do have a housing shortage, and yet it would have been far worse without Mayor Weinberger's tenure. tenure, tenure. Um where I think now, where we are now, unfortunately, I think this is something that City Hall and City Council both have to hold, is there was a slow response and recognition of the dire straits we're in when it comes to uh, the fentanyl and housing crisis. That right. is something that Mayor Weinberger will have to address. And frankly, um, so will Councilor Shannon in her run for mayor. Okay. And uh, what what's next for you politically, um, in, in politics? I assume you go back to, uh, you know, <laughs> working full time and making a living. But uh, what what about the rest of your life? What's next for you after you run, you come up short, uh, you go through all of that, uh, the, the physical and emotional and mental turmoil that goes into running a campaign. And then now you've got to wake up the next day and in in politics and policy, what's next for you? So, you know, when I when I first announced that I was going to run, um, someone said to me, well, I hope you have thick skin. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I do. Uh, you know, being a biracial uh, gay black woman in, the, in, in this country, I had to have, a, uh, you know, thick skin. I, I live in the in-between of marginalization and privilege, you know, not quite invited into white spaces. And frankly, not often invited in completely into uh, black spaces, uh, since I am biracial. Um, and, you know, what's next is um, I can't be quiet anymore, right? I've, I've already spoken up and spoken out. I've been behind the scenes, as you said, you know, working behind the scenes, supporting Mayor Weinberger, working behind the scenes, in a sense, uh, on the boards that you mentioned. And right now that I have this public platform and the response I've received in in speaking up and calling people in, not just calling them out, but calling them in, I'm going to continue to do that. What does that look like? I'm unsure. Um, I'm open to all options right now. And I will say that I have the benefit, earned benefit, 
of my work in tech that I can take my time. I have set myself up to do that. So this is my third act, Kevin, and uh, I'm going to take my time figuring out what that is. And my hope is whatever it is, is to best serve my community. Because as I've said multiple multiple times, I love this town. Burlington is the only home I've ever known. And so I will continue to do my best to support this place uh, that is my home. Okay. Well, you are always welcome in this space uh, at WDEV and on this show, and we will come back to you for your expertise on all these issues going forward. So I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for, for this time. Um, and hopefully next time we can do it in studio because, you know, I do much better face-to-face and we can have a, a real lively conversation. And um, But I, I appreciate your time and, and the welcome today. Thank you so much. You, you and me both, yeah, live in studio uh, very, very soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for joining us. That's that's Madison, former candidate for uh, the Democratic nomination for mayor of Burlington. Uh, she came up short to Joan Shannon. Joan will be running against Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, the progressive candidate. Both of them have been on the show. I have invited both of them back on the show uh, to debate each other uh, or just come on separately, and we're going to leave it to them to decide how they would like to do that because these issues are critical and uh, they have to get solved. And we are back with Kevin Ellis. Back from my two-week hiatus, and we are taking your calls at 244-1777. If you call in, you'll get uh, our new buddy, Brett Curtis, at the soundboard, and he'll uh, he'll connect us. Um, I wanted to uh, t- talk about my cross-country trip. I got a, a couple of uh, quick reactions. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, we drove through – we started in Washington, D.C., uh, where we were visiting family and drove through West Virginia, Kentucky, a little bit of Indiana, a little bit of Missouri, uh, Oklahoma, uh, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, did the Grand Canyon, and uh, and then up through California, where we are now, and uh, just north of San Francisco. It it I'll tell you one thing I found. Uh, my habit is to go to every bookstore I can find. Um, and uh, go to the what used to be the downtown of every community where we stop and uh, and avoid the strip mall development uh, strips outside of the town. So what we do, we've, we've, we established a kind of a practice, which is you Google historic downtown, uh, say in Louisville, Kentucky, or even a smaller place like Davis, West Virginia, and uh, it's amazing what you'll find. But I'll tell you what you do find. If you go to any outdoor shop anywhere in this country, it doesn't matter where it is, New Mexico, uh, West Virginia, uh, you will find darn tough socks. And I, I, I was reminded of that when I was uh, listening to the ad during the break. Uh, darn tough socks are everywhere. And if you look at my Instagram feed, you'll see that uh, – that uh, I take, I took pictures of darn tough socks as we moved across the country, and um, it was it was it's fascinating. It is truly a national and probably an international company now, and in, in little little Northfield, Vermont. Um, other reactions, it 
it, it was a, it's it's a little dull in spots, and you know if you stay on the interstates, I forty for example, it gets it gets pretty boring. But boy, when you get off the interstate and you 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 walk into a restaurant or a or a mot- roadside motel, uh, it does. It does remind you that the United States uh, can aspire to be good. Uh, I can't can't count the number of people who just could not have been nicer and more welcoming to us. And you know, when you live in your liberal Vermont bubble, uh, and you think that uh, everybody else is oh too conservative or too Trump or too something. Uh, it, it really reminds you that people are good people and they are welcoming. And uh, we were, oh gosh, I think we were in a, um, oh, I know, we were in Amarillo, Texas. And we bellied up to the bar for a cheeseburger or something about five o'clock in the afternoon after a long day driving. There was a big guy at the at the bar. Uh, he was on a, about his third uh, whiskey, or I think it was tequila, actually. And we got to talking, and uh, you know, he runs a he runs a some sort of shipping uh, agency. He rents he rents vans out to people, um, and he's you know he's lived in Amarillo, Texas, all his life. He's got the Texas accent. He's got the cowboy boots, and you know, you know when you when you're when you're each in your bubble, uh, you just make assumptions about each other. And when we finally introduced ourselves and and uh, and uh, told each other where we were from, and you know, when he found out we were from Vermont, he just lit up like a light bulb. Said, "Wow, I've never been there, but uh, I've heard great things." And and we just had the most interesting, searching conversation about uh, the local economy in Amarillo and <clears throat> what the economy's like in Vermont and. And we got right into politics. Uh, I I'd never shy away from talking about politics. I think it's one of the more fun things to do. Uh, I, I know people disagree with that, but we got right into politics and, you know, the immigration situation at the border and gun policy and climate change. And, you know, it just couldn't have been a more healthy, interesting uh, conversation. And, you know, yeah, he's more conservative. I, I loved his response. I said, "What what's the economy like here?" And he goes, "He goes ranching and gas and oil." <laughs> so, and and uh, we just had a great conversation about all of those issues, and uh, each enjoying our meals, and then we shook hands and went on our way. And uh, it's boy, I'll tell you, if we could all have conversations like I had with that gentleman, uh, I think we'd all be better off especially going into this holiday season. Um, lots of other reactions. I got to say the Grand Canyon, uh, I'm a history buff. So, you know, I was, I'm more interested in the history of the Grand Canyon and how it, how it's managed by the national park service and the role of Teddy Roosevelt and, uh, who declared it a monument. And then, and then Woodrow Wilson, uh, and I believe the 20s or uh, before the 20s, declaring it a national park. I'm actually sitting in a radio station in a national park right now. When you're a national park, <clears throat> it comes with all sorts of stuff 
Uh, it's governed by the National Park Service, which is part of the U.S. Interior Department. And uh, Vermont has a national park. It is the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Park down in Woodstock. Uh, worth your visit this holiday season. Um, but uh, the Grand Canyon National Park is really something, God, when you first walk the north rim, the north end of the park is closed uh, in the wintertime. But so we visited the south rim. And when you when you when you first park your car and emerge uh, onto the 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 area of the south wall, the south rim of the park, it truly is one of the wonders of the world. It's really something. And you just, you know, you can't tear yourself away. You just got to keep you just got to keep looking at it. And there's a great walk along the whole South Rim. You can do, two, you can do, uh, and you can walk, you can walk a little bit of the way down into the canyon on the South Rim um, on on what they call the Bright Angel Trail. Uh, much of it was closed because they are renovating the, get this, the water pipeline that pumps water out of the Colorado River and up into uh, the hotels that, Sort of the line, the line, the south rim of the canyon. Uh, that in itself is an incredible thing. So we hiked down the the, the Bright Angel Trail, and then uh, then we walked the whole sort of exterior of the south rim and seeing seeing things uh, along the way. It's just uh, tremendous. Um, so anyway, lots more to talk about about my cross country trip. Um, I, I want to get, I want to take note of Bernie Sanders evolving, uh, 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 position on the Israeli Hamas war. We'll get into that more in the next show if we can. Um, he's now calling on the UN to pass the resolution, uh, calling on a ceasefire. He is being in, calling for a ceasefire. He's in, he is increasingly critical of the Israeli government, the Netanyahu government. Um, I know, uh, uh, Senator Welch and Congresswoman Ballant have been on this, uh, and they've called for a ceasefire. Bernie has not called it a ceasefire, but he's been very aggressive, including a letter to President Biden uh, calling on him to get tougher. It seems that, that the Biden administration is following uh, Bernie's lead and uh, uh, is being more public in its pushing of the Israeli government. To uh, to try to avoid civilian casualties in this war, we will get to that uh, in future shows. And that is our show for today. My thanks to our guest, Matt, our guests, Madison, Lisa Loomis, uh, natural, and Lisa Scalotti, Natural Resources Secretary Julie Moore. I'm always looking for guests who will provoke us, inform us, and challenge us. So please send me your suggestions. Hit me up on Twitter or email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Our goal is to illuminate, inform, and have some fun along the way. Remember, you can stream the show live or listen later as a podcast, wdevradio.com, anytime, anywhere. We'll talk politics, media, and culture, as always, and everything else on my mind and yours. Remember, I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. And I'll be broadcasting for the next uh, few weeks remotely from California uh, 
from W from KWMR Rick Community Radio in Point Reyes, California, and which is a lot of fun. I plan to share some Sunshine State uh, folks on the show while I'm out here. You can find me at KevinKLS.com, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. My podcast, Conflict of Interest, examines the issues we deal with on this show. Our show is produced by me, engineered it, and made possible today by the one and only Brett Curtis on the soundboard, uh, Danny McGivergan from time to time. Always good to have Lee Cattell and Greg Titus and all the folks at WDEV making this possible. Thanks also to the team at WKMR Community Radio at Port Reyes Station, California, for their help and their hospitality. Stay tuned for Governor Bill Scott and his weekly press conference. He'll be giving a live update on flood response. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here on Friday for Montview Point Live Radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV.